podcast. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Yay, we're done. <laughs> Do you mind if we laugh the whole time? <laughs> That's probably how it's going to be. Uh, we're Dana and Amy. I'm Amy. And I'm Dana. And uh, we're doing a podcast called <laughs> They're Real. Uh, it's not totally about our boobs, but I'm sure they'll come up from time to time. And uh, hi. Hi, Amy. So I'm sure that anybody listening to this is thinking, who are these people and why are they doing a podcast? And we don't really know who we are. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of it. We're hoping that by doing a podcast, we can learn a lot about ourselves. uh, And you can learn a lot about us, too. No, we're we're different from your average 20-something white guy podcaster. (laughs) We really are. Quite different. (laughs) Because we're 50-something. Okay, we are white, uh, but we are moms and professionals. And, wait for it, we're family, kind of. How do we know each other? We know each other. You can say it more succinctly, okay. probably. So, one way of saying it, my way of saying it, is that my first cousin married Dana's brother. Her way of saying it is my brother married Amy's first cousin. (laughs) And my first cousin, Emily, shout out to you, hon, is that she she said, you're really going to love my new husband's sister. I'm going to fix you up. And we met for the first time at their wedding. And we have loved each other ever since. It's it's real. So, uh, so that's how we know each other, but we have something deeper than, than just that, I think. No, it's true love. Yeah, I think that it, it was really like we should have gotten married. <laughs> I think part of, part of my fear about doing this podcast, we adore each other. We worship each other in a non-religious way because you know we don't want to be accused of uh worshiping false idols or anything that goes against our faith which by the way is jewish but um but we worship each other and i'm scared doing this podcast that dana is gonna find out what a schlepper i am and she's just gonna be like you know i thought she was great but in reality eh, not so much um but I'm willing to take that risk for you, the podcast audience. Um, and do you have any fears about doing this? I do have fears, but I am—I live in chronic fear, actually, of being judged and being um, of being judged. So I thought, what better way to? It's sort of like exposure therapy. I'm yeah. just exposing myself to a fear and hoping that we can um, we can dig deep into things. That's. That's great. So, uh, well, then we'll certainly be sure to read the comments section. That's where I hear the judging takes place. Uh, you read it. You read it. <laughs> I'll filter through. for you. Yes. Uh, so, professionally, we have some credibility or whatever to talk about things that matter, like parenthood, things that matter to us anyway, and we hope they matter to you. Parenthood, uh, making choices based on your values, relating to people. Dana is highly credentialed, mm. very intelligent, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> and also a lot of fun. Uh, do you want me to talk about your life and I'll talk about 
you'll talk about mine so that it won't seem braggy. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Okay. That's a great idea. Okay. So right now we're in Dana's office. I'm staring at her degrees. Uh, she has a PhD. I don't want to brag about her, but I do. She has a PhD. A She's doctor. a doctor. Uh, I'm fake married to a doctor. <laughs> and she also uh, has a, a master's in social work. And she has been working for 25 years as a psychotherapist, helping parents, helping teens, helping kids uh, figure out, how do we do this thing? Uh, that's the, yes. And she has written for numerous publications, blah, blah, blah. Go to the bio. But in short, she's not just some lady off the street. Mm-hmm. Um, are you trying to <laughs> – I see her. She's reading my bio. She doesn't know. It's too confusing. It's very uh, diverse, shall we say. It is diverse and impressive. Um, so shall I introduce you, Amy? You, you shall if you feel comfortable. <laughs> okay. Oh, if we're waiting until I feel comfortable, we're going to be waiting a long time. So Amy – is also just as credible, if not more. Um, growing up in Portland, Oregon, and actually is more of an LA kind of gal. She is um, had been a Hollywood screenwriter, a management consultant who um, who taught improv theater to Fortune 100 companies. Not 500. I went to the top. <laughs> and okay, 50 Fortune 50 companies. Yes. Yeah, yep. And uh, she's an an editorial director at a digital marketing agency, and most recently is a stand-up comic and funny as all hell. And she is married to a doctor. She's married to a psychiatrist, which you will hear more about, and um, and is a mom, too, of a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old adorable, sweet, interesting girl. So um, without further ado... Let's get on with this. I'm cavelling. Um, oh, and you're a mom too. How old are your yes, kids? Yes, I'm a mom too, 13 and 17, or almost 13 and 17. 17-year-old uh, is a girl and getting ready to go to college, and uh, which we'll also talk a lot about. And my almost 13-year-old is getting ready for his bar mitzvah and is, um, and is a boy. So As bar mitzvahs are. Yes. Right. Uh, my 12-year-old daughter is getting ready for her bot mitzvah. Bot is for the girl. Um, it means daughter of the covenant. Uh, so we've learned something already, and we've barely begun. Uh, let's see how, how we're doing on time. Okay, so more about, I don't know. Oh, what's, what's your husband do? My husband, my husband, darling, is an employment attorney. So he um, is a really menschy, hardworking guy who helps a lot of um, different employees get out of their uh, predicaments and also stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. And he's a good guy. He's oh, fun. He's yeah. smart. He's fun. He's a delight to hang around. Uh, obviously, I've met him. Because we're family, did you mention that? <laughs> no, every year my uh, first cousin, 
comes to town with her husband, or as Dana likes to say it, my brother <laughs> comes to town with his wife, who's Amy's first cousin. And, and their children. She, and their children. And she invites us over, and we have a nice time. And her parents come, too, from New Jersey. Her, her family's from New Jersey. And so uh, Judy and Joel show up. And uh, I always like talking to your mom a lot. I know, and I like that you like talking <laughs> to my mom. It makes me feel good. And she's, I think it's a good, fun comparison, the East Coast mom and the West Coast mom. <laughs> different styles. Very different styles. That's that's an episode. Um, East Coast, West Coast. It's like a rap battle, mm-hmm. but it's more of a mom thing. Mm-hmm. It'll, that one will be good. Uh, today, so, so here's how we're going to do this podcast. Uh, we, we do have a format. We're not just going to blah, blah, blah the whole time. And our format is this. We're going to talk about what's going on in general for a little bit, and then we're going to launch into a specific topic. Today's topic is money, honey, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't have a guest today because we're just getting this thing going, but we could do this topic again because I'm sure we could talk about money for days and days and days, uh, so, so that's what we're doing today. Um, and Dana is working on this book called The Parenting Paradox, and it's all about making choices for your life, for your parenting life, based on your values. And so we thought it would be interesting in talking about money to delve into what are our values around money and where do they come from uh, and and what's our situation? Because it's really, it's more taboo in some ways than talking about sex. It absolutely is. And I think, and even the way that we came up with this idea is that we were meeting for breakfast the other morning and I came in completely stressed out about money, freaking out about um, paying for college. And we started to disclose our respective financial situations Um And we thought, we can't be the only ones who are struggling with this. We can't be the only ones who are having such a hard time. So we thought, okay, we have our first topic. That's right. And it's it's funny, too, because I know you can't see us. It's a podcast. But we both look... I don't know. We don't we don't look like we have money. But we don't look like... Like, we're both wearing podcast-appropriate makeup. We're both, wearing, <laughs> right. we're both wearing jewelry. You know, we keep ourselves up. Dana has a beautiful apartment. You know, from all outside appearances, you'd think, well, I always thought, I'll be honest just about you, I always thought, oh, Dana's got a lot of money. She's got the money thing under control, mm-hmm. so that's cool. And I think there's a lot of people that, live in a way that looks like they have the money thing under control, but in reality, it's it's a little more precarious than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, too, I mean, and I think that I, too, felt like was pretty certain that you had it under control. You're smart. You're organized. You're a take-charge kind of gal. And so I just assumed, like, I'm certain that Amy has her 503B all neatly Put away for her children's education, and um, that's and not a thing. A five hundred three B. Oh, that's like it? the designation I think for a values-based nonprofit. The tax designate. I think 
did you no. mean 401k? Or I don't no, know, maybe I'm wrong. Really? I'm pretty okay. sure because we just opened one. Oh, I'm okay. Sure ah, the irony. Yeah. Busted. You yeah, are, totally. you do have your stuff well, together. you know, that's just when you're financially savvy like I am and <laughs> opened a 503B six months before your daughter's going to go to college. Way that's, to go. Yeah, yeah. Way to go. Always ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought those were, like 503. Whatever. Okay. Right. We could be wrong. Yeah. Well, and then I'll there's a 504, which is for your kid to get extra time on tests. If yes. They have ADD. <laughs> um, that's a thing. I know that one. Um, and then there's a 401, 401k. 401k. And then there's other 401s. We have a 529 for our kids' college, which is a way that you can save for your kids' college, and then all the money you take out of that is tax-free. That might be what I meant. (laughs) 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 I'm embarrassed already. Don't judge. So here's, yeah, like, it's hard because... I think Dana's right. I do like to be right. I'm a little over competitive sometimes, like with trivia games and stuff. I'm really obnoxious. Yeah. And so it took everything I had not to look up a 503C <laughs> and shove my phone in your face and go, C, C, C. Um, but I didn't do that. But um, I'm sure some of you are already on Google listening to this and And you're either thinking, Amy is so arrogant because she's correcting Dana, or or Dana should just slap Amy. Oh, no. Or or Dana is so dumb. Well, not dumb, but just doesn't know her financial products and uh, savings uh, vehicles. (laughs) No, Dana does not know savings. The way that Amy does. And... um, so you've you've got a little of our picture here. We're we're hot messes, but we don't look like it. Anybody else? I I don't know. You can't talk to us. This is a one way conversation. So so let me talk a little bit about my particular brand of hot mess mm-hmm. because uh, I think it's slightly unique. And then you can talk about your brand of hot mm-hmm. mess mm-hmm. if that's good. Mm-hmm. So what happened with my brand is that. I had a pretty good job, but it was freelancy in LA doing what I always dreamed of doing. And Daniel had a really good steady job doing something that he was good at but never really wanted to do. And so he came to me one day, it was in the film business. He came to me one day after I had had a baby. Um, and gotten kind of a dream job that was like on the takeoff ramp to a dream career and said, hey, I want to be a psychiatrist. And so uh, he was in his 30s. I was in my higher 30s because, yes, I married a younger man. Cougar. (laughs) Did you know once you're 50 that it's called a jaguar? (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't know that. So, Um, I'm a jaguar. And so, um, (laughs) that's according to Urban Dictionary. I don't know. So, but when I married him, I was a cougar. And so 
we switched paths. We moved from LA from this gorgeous house that I loved from his stable job and my unstable but good job to Portland, Oregon, where I'm from. It felt like a defeat, a failure. Uh, I went back home just in time for a high school reunion where I found out I was pregnant and couldn't drink through the pain. And, um, and we started all over again. Uh, I took kind of a, a crummier job that had health benefits to take care of us while he was doing pre-med because, of course, he was a religion major and then got a master's degree in film. Um, so he needed the pre-med. The great news about medical school is that they pause your film school loans while you're in medical school. So we got a break from those. And then, uh, and so that was three years for the pre-med, four years for the medical school, and then four years for a residency where he made a salary, but not, um, not anything close to what he had been making when we had our sweet deal in LA. And so here we are, I just turned 50 and he's two years out of his residency. And it's basically like we, are living like 30-year-olds economically, um, kind of starting at the beginning of our careers, but we're 20 years too late. That's us. Yeah, and I think, I think you really love your husband because I don't know that I would have been as gracious about that kind of a change. Maybe Wait, now? did anybody say I was gracious about it? Oh. <laughs> we'll ask you. No. But even that you did it, I think, is amazing because I think in my early 30s and definitely having a baby, I was kind of expecting, I think, I had just gotten, I I was pregnant when I uh, walked down the aisle to get my degree, my doctorate, and I, um, I think on some level always expected that um, my, that my husband, that's my it's okay. My phone. I think that it, despite my being kind of a progressive woman, I do think that I always bought into the old-fashioned idea that I was going to be taken care of. And I think in some way my very menchy husband, who's also progressive, also thought that that was going to be the arrangement, that I would have a lot of flexibility and he would provide for the family. And so he has always um, done well. He's always had, <clears throat> excuse me, like stable jobs. But as we all know, the economy tanked. He worked, um, he worked for a financial services company. And since then has just, um, it's been sort of a series of changes to be able to um, figure out professionally kind of where he wants to situate himself. And so We've never, neither one of us are particularly good with money. We're both, neither of us are humongous spenders, but we're also both a little bit afraid of it and perceive ourselves as kind of like um, inferior and, um, I don't know, we don't face it. And for a couple that communicates a lot, we avoid it like the plague. And even when I think that he wants to talk about money, I just bypass him and go right into the bedroom and feign a headache. So um, <laughs> I just, I can't, and we're always playing catch up. We both, um, we both work really hard, but feel like we're just not 
ahead of the game. And we live in, in Brooklyn and uh, work in New York City where there is an enormous amount of wealth. We work with really wealthy clients and patients. And we're just like, what is wrong with us? Like, why can't we, um, why aren't we feeling more settled this way? And we too are, I just turned 50. My husband's a few years older. I'm not a cougar or a jaguar. I'm, <laughs> I'm a, someone who wanted to be taken care of. And now realizing that I had to buck up, become an adult and sort of pull my own weight. And um, which I'm always struggling with my weight and with the money. So uh, it's it's totally um, and it bums me out. It makes me feel really inadequate and also really ashamed. I'm I think that I walk around sort of feeling like I have this big heavy secret that we didn't do what we were supposed to have done. Even though we're not buying jaguars, we're not going on extravagant vacations. We live really nicely, but still don't feel like we have the cushion that we're supposed to have. And it just bums us out. That sucks, man. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. And that's why I was crying to you at breakfast the other day. Oh, woe is me. Whoa. And I should say, too, just in fear of judgment, that we also know that we're really lucky that we both have, Oh, my gosh. You know, like, I know there are people who are much worse off and, and not as fortunate and not as advantaged and things like that. But it just given... A doctor and a lawyer, you, I would have thought that we wouldn't need the scholarship program at private school. But, um, yeah, but it just. Yeah, shame is a, a big thing. And New York, I mean, we live in New York City, and it is so warping here, uh, the amounts of wealth. It's, it's funny, you know, when we moved from Portland, my kids were six and nine, and the first time I moved to New York was um, was for college when I was 17, and I didn't even know from money. I mean, I thought we were rich because my mom took us to the good clothes store, and, you know, I had some outfits that were worth $100, and they were paying for my college. Of course, my mom had taken advantage of this CD thing that was happening where interest rates were 19% oh, on CDs. Yeah. I'm so impressed Apparently, you know that. Yeah, she told I, me. I, yeah. I, I mean, so were mortgage rates. Mm -hmm. So it was a double-edged sword, mm -hmm. but she she made it work. And so that's how they paid for my college. Um and college costs so much less than, and my dad was a doctor and we lived in Portland, which was a place that has a lower cost of living. And my parents would go on vacation a couple times a year and we went to camp. And I guess I thought we were rich because we didn't have to think about it. And other people, I lived in a pretty economically disadvantaged uh, I went to a high school that had a lot of economically disadvantaged people, and we lived on the edge closer to town that was not economically disadvantaged. And so compared to other people around me, we were loaded. Then I come to New York, and I'm like, oh, that's what money is. You know, like I spent a summer – um nannying or au pairing or whatever you want to call it in East Hampton for a famous person. I and, didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, it was Nora Ephron. <laughs> really? Yes. 
Yes, and her place was across from Steven Spielberg's. And, um, you know, I, I, I was like, oh, oh, money. Okay, I get it. Like, it just, I didn't even know what money was. And so when we moved here when the kids were little, uh, you know, they learned things like, um, what is Turks and Caicos? Like, that, those were two <laughs> words that never came up in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you know, people would go, I don't know where people went. Oh, people went to California for vacations. Mm. They didn't go to the Caribbean. They didn't go on cruises. They didn't. It just It's just so different here. And the amounts that people have are stratospheric. I mean, my, my husband treats people, I think, who might even, some people, some of the families might be billionaires. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. That's, I, yeah. Is that I a have, thousand million? That's a thousand I, I million. I don't know, but I have a few also. Yeah. And um, they, it, it, there's no way to even, for people like us, like, we're living paycheck to paycheck and the paychecks are expensive. You know, they're, I don't know. The mm. point is, is that. Everybody here can go higher. I once heard, so I do do stand-up comedy. I once heard at a stand-up show somebody talking about the super rich and how you can tell if somebody is rich or super rich by whether they can stand up straight or not when they walk into their private plane. Like if you have to (laughs) crouch down, then you're not really rich, rich. You're just, you know... Fine. A schlub. A schlub. <laughs> You're a schlub among the wealthy. So so that's kind of the top that we have to deal with. But then, you know, we live uh, – right now we're probably five miles away from the poorest congressional district in the country, which is in the Bronx. So it's all here, and we're just trying to get by and, um, and not the, look like schleppers. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's sort of like all of the pride that goes along with it that feels so hard. Yeah. And I, I don't know. One thing I thought that would be interesting is to talk about where where we get our values about money and things. Because things and what we buy is related to money, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about it a lot, actually. I think about, like... And I'm sure it's intergenerational. I know that my grandparents were sort of impressed by wealth and um, and always dressed to the nines. And my grandmother always had like matching accessories. And um, and I think that my grandfather took great pride in my grandmother being well dressed and having fancy jewelry. And my mom, um, I think, too, sort of grew up knowing that. Um, money was impressive to people, I think. And so I equated, I didn't even realize it, but I think like, and I, and I guess we all like the world kind of reinforces this or our society does that wealth equals success. And so when we say that someone is successful, oftentimes we mean that they have a lot of money. And so I think that I perceive like the world on some kind of a hierarchy. Like if you have a lot of money, then you're like a a superhuman. And if you don't have a lot of money, you're kind of subpar, but you really want to be one of the superhumans. And it took me a long time to realize that, A, there are many people who don't even aspire to that, like that people don't necessarily, money isn't the center of things. And, um, And it's taken me a long time. Like I just 
it's taken me a long time to kind of reconcile what money means to me, what it is that I want, what it is that I want people to see about me. And um, I love clothes. I love like nice things. And it's important to me to have people see me that way, which I'm sometimes proud of, sometimes embarrassed of, but I've kind of at 50 have just like accepted that that's, that's woven into the fabric of who I am. And um, the designer fabric of who I am. <laughs> and so I just, but I think, I think about it a lot because I want to be able to kind of re, recalibrate myself um, so that I don't necessarily put money at the center of things. On the other hand, I don't want to devalue it so that I'm not, you know, living on the street. But well, with your 503B, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be in good stead. Yeah. Um, God, I can't wait to Google that one. Right. No, I'm sure yeah. you're right. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. So um, it's funny because I, when I was in grad school, I went to grad school for filmmaking. I have a, a master's in fine arts uh, in filmmaking. And I, um, during that time, I was pretty broke and you know, I was in my 20s and full of turmoil. What's my life? Who am I supposed to be? And so I went to a psychic. And she said many things to me, which ended up being true, like that I was going to really hurt my right hand. And um, and I did. So that was weird. <laughs> Just as an example of how wise she was. Um, and I remember her saying to me, you're never going to be wealthy, but you're always going to have enough. Mm. And I remember walking out of, of that and for years thinking, I'll show you Kathy Kazana. I'll have more than enough. That was her name. Uh, I hope we can say that she was very good. And, and I remember, um, I, I was in this mini book group with some work friends when I lived in Portland and we read this book by Nicholas Kristoff called ha and his wife. I think her name is Cheryl Wudun. Is that right? Cheryl. I, I can't remember. No anyway. Um, I read his column all the time. I remember his name more. I'm sorry, but it was called half the sky and it was about the work that they've done abroad with poor, um, and struggling populations all over the world and just showing uh, a lot of what can happen if women get empowered uh, and and how all economies can raise if, if women are lifted up. And I remember reading this book and having it hit me like a lightning bolt. Enough is enough. Mm -hmm. I don't need, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it had never occurred to me before that there was enough. And it's not that I always wanted to be rich. You know, if I, I imagine that if I had put money at the top of my value system, I could have gone for more lucrative jobs uh, in the course of my life or trained myself that way. I've always been more of a creative kind of person, but I do enjoy making money a lot. Uh, and I enjoy, I, I do have a value system that I think feels like I'm not doing something valuable unless I'm getting paid for it and getting paid nicely, which is mm -hmm. why motherhood is such a suck deal. Um, <laughs> but I love my kids. They are so great. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> that's a whole nother episode as you can yes, only imagine. Yes. But, but the point is that, um, 
that there is, I, I do believe that there's such a thing as enough. And then um, I think about, you know, what, what would that look like? And one of, one of the things I like doing with my money is giving it away. Like that's, that's in some of my mm-hmm. fantasy mm-hmm. along with Prada and makeup stuff. Totally. It, it's also, I love giving money to things I believe in. I do too. And I actually, I oftentimes think that if I could like just get out of the hole that we're in that actually I would end up in Africa somewhere kind of working with Oprah or doing something. I, I, but this idea of enough just occurred to me when I was listening to some podcast about like (laughs) Buddhism and I was like, Oh, it never even occurred to me that one could feel enough and that now I'm listening to all of these podcasts that have affirmations and they tell me that I am enough. And then... Do you believe them? I'm trying desperately. (laughs) I keep re-listening and re-listening and then falling asleep to it. And then Scott ends up hearing the ear pod, whatever falls out of my ear. And at three in the morning, he's hearing, you are enough. You are enough. (laughs) And he's like, what were you listening to? But... um, But I think that that idea of knowing when enough, I never know when something is enough. I always do things um, in excess and I feel like maybe that's been my like distorted view of money too. It's like that you just keep accumulating and accumulating, not that I was doing it, but I thought that that's what I wanted. And, um, And I do feel so grateful too for what I actually have, not only materially, but I feel like I have what I need. I have, you know, a great husband. I have awesome kids. I have healthy parents. I have really good extended family, a.k.a. Amy. Dana. And um, really cute dog, lovely apartment, love my career, wonderful friends. What the hell do I need more for? But I'm, I feel oftentimes in like a sense of, of I feel very aware of the absence of something. Um, which I think is probably I'm learning more emotional than it is actually like financial. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel I have all those things too. And I do feel massively grateful. I really do. And I try to make my kids feel grateful too. I, um, I have a habit of only buying ice cream on sale. Oh, um, really? yeah, it's so expensive ice cream. And, so once I was shopping with my daughter, I think she was probably eight or ten, and she said, you're so cheap, Mom. You only buy ice cream on sale. And I said, really? You think I'm cheap? That kid got an hour-long tutorial through ooh, my ooh. Uh, Quicken uh-huh. uh, and understanding what the bills are that we have each month huh. and what the expense, you know, what the expenses are and how irregular our income is, and it's weird. She never called me cheap again <laughs> Cheap is like one of those things like ugly or fat that I would be afraid of being called, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I do think that I would, I would take a little pride in being considered frugal and generous. Is that possible mm, to be both probably, of those things? Probably. Well, the new us would think so. Yeah. But... Like, yeah, being cheap. Aspirational us. Yeah. And growing up, I think my, the same grandfather who was like a depression era kid, I think um, was really, really, really frugal and cut corners in some 
lame ways, I think. And, and my, my, we used to talk about it a lot and it was really frowned upon. So I think that I grew up feeling like it was more important to appear generous and to appear like you had a lot than to be cheap or stingy. And I think there's also, there's a cultural stereotypical fear wrapped up in that too. But yeah, yeah, that, that that like you don't want to seem like all the bad stereotypes about Jewish people yes. that they're cheap and that they're penny pinching and so people might overcorrect or want to give the appearance of overcorrecting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um there I said it. Yes. So thank you, um, <laughs> one one thing that's interesting about my uh money heritage is that my grandpa my maternal grandfather always worked really hard and was the sole provider. My my grandma was a secretary until she got married. She got married very late. I think she was 27 when she got married. I know. Old maid. Well, she was beautiful, but she, she saved herself for somebody that she really fell in love with. She didn't want to just settle. So, uh, and then... And then when my grandpa died in the 70s, my grandma took over the portfolio and she killed it. She she really built things up in a serious way and she would give us gifts of stocks and things like that. And wow. so and then my mom is the money manager for our house. My dad has no clue what's going on with money. Yes, he's the one who's made most of it. But he doesn't know the difference between cheap and expensive things. And he asks her for money, like, Linda, can I have some cash? I don't even think he knows where the bank is. She is the owner wow. of, of everything. And I think, you know, oh, Linda. that I expect to do that because I... But Daniel also expects to do that. So sometimes when we have fights about money, it's more about, you know, me saying, your strategy's stupid. Um, that works really well. My mm -hmm. husband's so kind and diplomatic and not in a fake way. And so Lovely. when I, when I <laughs> say things like, that's a dumb idea, it really goes over poorly. Mm. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, you should work on that. Okay, maybe I'll come see you. <laughs> you can't afford me. <laughs> You're right. Um, so anyway, so uh, so I, I feel grateful for that, though, that my, my mom is, you know, really savvy about that because I think it's good modeling for me as a woman. Yeah, definitely. My mom actually is pretty savvy, too, although I think that my parents work together on it. But somehow or other, I think I'm a middle child. I was thinking about this the other day, and I was the youngest for seven years before my brother, who's married to Amy's cousin, was born. And I think that I have still this, like, youngest child mentality that, like, I'm the baby. I need to be taken care of. I'm too too little to understand how money works. I'm still a child. And once again, it's just been around 50. It occurred to me that I have to be a grown-up and, like... And I'll say to my husband sometimes, like, what's it like living with another adult in the house? Like, <laughs> suddenly, like, it's a big bait and switch that suddenly I realize, like, oh, I have to have opinions. And, like, and he doesn't necessarily know everything. Not that he ever imposed it on me to begin with. I just assumed because he was a man and he worked in financial services, even though he was a lawyer, that he would know. 
And I think that he comes from his own complicated history with money and fears about money. His dad's a scientist. His mom is a teacher, really hardworking people who were, I think, more focused on intellect than money and were not, um, they always had what they needed. But I think that there was always financial stress and a lot of arguing about it. And so I think that Scott also has kind of learned in some way that that's a, a tense topic. And I we are we're sort of conflict avoidant. And mm. so we both assume that there's going to be conflict. We assume that we're going to feel bad. We assume that we're going to feel ashamed and like that we were irresponsible in some way. So we just avoid it. And um, and my kids, I never want them to, to worry. So I just never talk about it with them. They oh, have wow. no idea what, what, well, now if they listen to this, they, they might. Although I just... I want them to feel comfortable. I don't want them to feel anxious. And so I just, um, I don't think they feel like they need anything or want anything. Not that they're spoiled. They're just like, they're taken care of. And um, and I want them to feel that way. And so maybe because that's the way I wanted to feel or that's right. the way I did feel. But um, but I feel like I need to revise my my approach a little bit. And I'm not quite sure how I want it to look, but... Um, but I need to change my mentality about it. It's interesting, too, because you grew up with two brothers, and I grew up in a house where I only have a younger sister. And so I want. do you think that gender uh, plays any role in how you see money? I think that it probably does, although I have talked about it with both of my brothers. As I said, I'm in, I'm in the middle, one older, one younger. And I think that both of them have taken financial control in their own homes. So there probably is a piece to that. Um, yeah, I have to think about it more. But I think that it was kind of across the board. And I, too, grew up just feeling like my parents had it under control. We, we, I think I perceived that we had a lot of money because we had a pool and, um, and we had a big house. And so I, I just and I liked the idea of being rich. Like I, I think that I thought that we were and I thought that that was something to be proud of. And I think that, you know, um, I just there's a lot of like changing thoughts about yeah, it now, yeah. and um, and I'm just trying not to bum myself out, and I'm trying to move forward, and I'm trying to really evaluate like what it is that I want, what it is that I believe is important, what um, how I want to convey like money to your kids. Yeah, yeah, and I. Um, and I want the listeners to start to do the same. And, you know, I mean, I just have to say it again, because I know that this could sound so gross uh, to people listening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the same, I, I think that people don't talk about this in a frank way. And, you know, I think to us, people who are wealthy, wealthy, and not thinking, you know, oh, I get paid on Thursday, therefore we can pay off X bill, you know, to us, to us, that seems really wealthy, um, that they are probably looking at the people above them and thinking, you know, oh, we could afford a fourth house if only X, you know, and meanwhile, we know that the majority of people in this country are 
cobbling things together from mm-hmm. the gig economy with no support whatsoever that uh, it it is brutal out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. Um, and that there are no systems to support child care their health care is you know bankrupts tons of families every year like we were in an incredibly lucky position and at the same time uh, I don't know I, I do think there's something universal about this idea that is very contrary to kind of what's happening at the top of our political heap of, you know, it's very important to remember that there is enough and that money in itself and having wealth is not an inherently, an inherent good. It Mm -hmm. is a thing. Mm -hmm. Money is great when it can get you security, when it can get you the things you need and some of the things that you like and want. But, um, but having money does not make you a good person. And conversely, not having money does not make you a bad person. The system's pretty rigged against people who didn't start with money uh, getting money. Mm-hmm. That It's a rarity. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, not I'm, impossible. I'm so glad that you said that because I am feeling super self-conscious that I'm like a privileged person who's complaining about money. I think, though that there is something about um, just talking about money and talking about the perceptions of money and how we connect it to our, like how we understand ourselves, how we see ourselves in the world and how we view other people. So, but caveat again, I know we're, I know we're lucky. All right. That is a good place to stop our conversation about money, even though we could go on and on and on. Um, Our final and closing section of our podcast, They're Real, is a section called No, You Have To. (laughs) And it's about things that you, we think, you have to try or Mm -hmm. you have to read or you have to experience. So uh, my first, no, you have to, is for this product. It's (laughs) under $10. And it's called Maybelline Superstay Matte Ink. And here's here's why I recommend this so highly. Um, Recently, I had a hernia repair surgery. And I put Mm -hmm. this product on in the morning (laughs) before I went to the hospital. And they made me unconscious, stuck a breathing tube down my throat, pulled it out. I woke up. This stuff had not moved. I looked so good post-operatively because I was wearing lipstick. And uh, so if you are getting a surgery or just going out to eat, like a normal person. If you're going to be intubated. uh, You're wearing it now. I'm wearing it now. It looks fabulous. But it's the beginning of the day. But even post-coffee, it's still Perfect. Yeah, sometimes it clumps up a little bit and you have to do that lip exfoliating thing um, just so it doesn't gather too much. And But, it, you know, it's not as uncomfortable and drying as some matte products. 
I wasn't kidding about how much I love products. This this is just one more thing about products and money mm-hmm. is that uh, when I I have made vows to myself where uh, when we have some credit card debt, which mm-hmm. we do have right now, we've mm-hmm. had some since my oldest daughter's bat mitzvah and now mm-hmm. we're getting ready for the youngest, um, true confessions, mm-hmm. I go on a makeup fast where I tell myself I can't buy any quote, optional makeup. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I do that, too. That's you do? so funny. I was in Sephora yesterday and saw some things that would have been optional, and I chose not to get them. Yeah, like optional makeup. Like, I need the Bobbi Brown Cole eyeliner because it just looks so good on me and makes me look younger. And I also need, quote, unquote, a good foundation with sunscreen because melanoma and um, and also even skin tone. And I need to have one good dark colored lipstick, preferably two, like one for home and one for purse. So um, those are kind of the needs. And then everything else I have. Oh, and mascara, duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but other than that, it's wants. What about you? I'm sorry, I went on too long. No, that's okay. That's okay. And I actually am going to buy that lipstick, mm. lip, lip marker. What's it called? Uh, Maybelline Superstay Matte Ink. Oh, thank you. And we're not even. They're not even sponsored. We don't have sponsors. This is yeah. our first version. The microphone already broke. Uh, we're doing it straight <laughs> to computer, straight to phone, and praying. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking that this is a little bit. Uh, higher priced, although you know what, I'm going to go with a cheaper thing apple cider vinegar. I know that it's all the rage, I have read about it on every blog, every health blog, and I have been, I have been actually doing shots of it for the past eight months or so, and I've lost about 10 pounds. Really? Yeah. And you attribute it to the apple cider vinegar? I think so. Either that or my esophagus is completely burned, and so I can't <laughs> eat, and so that could be. It, but I think that it's actually it helps it helps internally with regularity. Wink, wink. wink I wink, think I know what you're not. talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to have all of these cleansing kinds of um, effects. And I think I'm attributing a lot of it to this. Either that, or I have to justify the torture because I go through this like ritual every morning of I I do my shot, and then I do a (laughs) afterward because it is so disgusting, and my kids make fun of me, and I really think that it's been a a wonder. I mix it with honey and then put water in it so that it's like a tonic. I like, I'm too sadistic, I think. Masochistic? Masochistic. Oh, God. I'm sorry. This is is the asshole I am. You guys are going to... We're all going to go through it together. Um, some of you are going to feel sorry for Dana. Um, others of you are just going to skip straight to hating me. But that's okay because we're doing this for you. We're here for you. Yes. It's altruism. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. That's our yeah. first podcast. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Tell us what you think. Bye. Bye.